Sorry about that. We adjusted some settings last week, but I think it, it's worse, not better. So today we're talking about a different gospel, a different gospel. And you may ask, well, what's, that's, what's the gospel? And that's what we're talking about. But it's funny, the gospel is one of those words that gets thrown around so often. Oftentimes we don't even know what it means. It's like, is it a kind of music? Is it like, what's, what's the gospel? But there are, uh, the gospel is a message or a narrative that gives an overarching purpose and meaning to, to life. And the message, how many of you know, the message you believe will determine the life that you live. Whatever you believe is going to determine the life that you live. And because of that, our enemy, there is an enemy, and he is very intentional and skillful at creating false narratives to take us off from the real purpose we were made for. We go all, see that all the way back. We'll get, go into this into the Knowing God class today. But back to the, the garden when God first made Adam and Eve. There was the adversary in the form of a serpent who created a different narrative, a different gospel presented before people like, no, actually, if you do this, it'll be better than what God says for you. And so all throughout history, if you want to study, if you study like even how nations work, it's, there are these false narratives that are fed to people to lead them astray. And today there are many false gospels. Actually, our, our campus ministry called The Greatness last spring did a little series on false gospels, and we talked about like, the gospel of fear, the gospel of me. Um, we could look at the gospel of the state, which is the idea that the answer to everything is, is government solutions. We could look at the gospel of environmentalism, which would be that, hey, everything we do needs to be directed towards you know, certain steps because of the problem of the environment. We could look at the gospel of a false gospel of racism, which is just the, the idea, obviously, racism is not good, but with their, the idea that like, everything in the world is about race, and so we've got we to deal with that to bring change. Um, all, in all of these, there, in all these false gospels, there are a lot of elements of truth. You might have been like, hey, well, the environment is a good thing, right? And they're like, yes. Overcoming racism is a good thing, yes. But the enemy always weaves in good and mixes it up with things and takes it a different direction. That's the nature of deception. If it was, if it was all just glaringly bad, then we wouldn't fall for it. But a good deception has a lot of, a lot of truth in it. We see this in false religions, actually, and um, in... If you look at the history of Mormonism and Islam, there was an encounter where someone had a vision with who the, what they thought was the angel Gabriel who laid out this whole new religion for them. And that was, the, that was a false gospel that the enemy was laying out to lead people astray. It's not usually so overt, but those have been pretty effective. In Galatians 1, the apostle Paul is writing in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you, and this is writing to believers, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So he's saying, God called you. You heard the real gospel. It was all about the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So even all the way back to the first few decades of Christianity, there were these false gospels that were being presented in front of people by our spiritual foes to lead people astray and to distort the truth. Now, um, it goes on, the next verse talks about, hey, even if an angel of light appears to you, or even if I tell you a different gospel, don't listen if it's contrary 
to the Word of God. And so we see there is a scheme to, to, to deceive and distract us, take us away. Now, I want to talk about, compare the real gospel with a different gospel. It's not any of the ones I've mentioned today. And the one I'm talking about is the one I grew up hearing. And it's a little different than the ones I mentioned in that it's, it's more true. And it's really a different gospel that's very prevalent in, in the modern church, in the evangelical church. And really, it's, it's not so much false in that what it's, in that it's even, in, uh, in that it's not like the other ones I mentioned. It's got less falsehood than some of the other ones I mentioned. But what, the reason it's false is it, it's just part of a bigger picture that it misses out on. And so, does that make sense? I was, I, was getting, I was getting confused in my own mind trying to explain that right there. What am I doing? What am I, what am I doing? Anyway, so, so I grew up, when I was a very young child, I woke up one morning. I grew up in a Christian home with parents who loved God and devoted their lives to him. And I came downstairs one morning, and my mom was in the living room, and she was praying. And she said, hey, I, I feel like it's time to explain something to you. And she laid out the gospel as she understood it to me. And... It was, she said, hey, do you, you know, do you believe in God? Yeah. Do you know that you've sinned against God? Yes. <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, Jesus, did you know about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins? We've talked about that, right? Yes. Yeah. So, well, it's important, Jonathan, that you know that you turn to Jesus, that you own that you're a sinner, and you turn to Jesus and trust in him to forgive you of your sins, and give you a new heart so that you can go to heaven when you die and not go to hell when you die because of your sin. Now, everything she said I, is true. But what she just what she laid out is what I'm calling the gospel of personal salvation. And that, I responded to that. I was like, yeah. And I think, you know, and by the grace of God, he was, he was, he was working. I'm so glad my mom did that, okay? I, I believe I, I was born again. That day when I prayed with my mother and accepted Christ into my heart and my sins were forgiven. Um, and I then grew up, as I said, my family loved God and we, we, we were part of church. We moved to a couple of different places when I was 10. We actually moved to Taiwan where my parents started doing missions work. And I was in a Christian school with these other missionary kids. And basically the, me the message that I heard when I first accepted Christ, I heard that message hundreds and hundreds of times. I, like, this is the message, okay? You're not, you're not, you're, it's not about being good, but it's about recognizing you're a sinner, turning from your sin, trusting in Jesus, and he takes away your sin through what he did on the cross and gives you a new heart, comes and lives inside of you, and when you die, you go to heaven. Um, I, I heard that over and over again, and I, it was, it was good. I'm so grateful for it, but there were some things that were left out of that message. And I remember is it, it's kind of like a couple months ago, I got a text from my son, Cade, who's in college at Iowa State. And he's, he's great at finding, like, ways to earn, to get money given to you, all sorts of ways. I mean, he's, he's, it's, he's, he did one, one Christmas break. He donated his body to science and, like, was part of these science experiments and made, like, 10 or 12 grand in two weeks. It was crazy. 
and you know, I'm not recommending you do that. You know, should read, but he's always like he's getting there. The Iowa State's always sending him a couple more thousand dollars because he's like finding ways to get money. All the COVID money, he got all that. And so he sent this text like, "Hey, there's this app. If you sign up for this app, you can get a thousand dollars." He sent it to me and my older son Adam, and it was a sporting, a sport betting app, DraftKings. And basically, if you signed up, you get a thousand dollars. And he'd already done it. A couple of his friends had done it. They got a thousand dollars. And I was like, "Well, I don't, I don't know about that. Doesn't seem like what they intended this for." But my older son Adam went ahead. He didn't hesitate as long as me. He he did it as well. And uh, soon after that, he got a text saying, "Hey, this looks suspicious. We're freezing your account." And he was like, "Oh shoot! I'm at, am I going to jail? What am I doing here?" And at the end of the day, he got a thousand dollars too. Um, but they, but I was, it's like this DraftKings was offering, like, if you follow this promotion, you could get a thousand dollars and never make one sports bet and just pocket the money and it works. But in this analogy, it breaks down so many places. I just like the story. So I'm telling it to you. So don't take it too far, but that's kind of like how this gospel of personal salvation is kind of like that. It's like, if you apply it, it works, maybe. Like, there's a pretty good chance it'll work and your sins will be forgiven and you'll go to heaven when you die. But you're actually not joining in the whole purpose of what God has. Just like the whole purpose of DraftKings isn't really just to give away money. They're, they're trying to get you involved in the sports betting world. All right, they're trying to entice you and, you know, live the dream of making money. On, on betting for sports, and actually, of course, they're going to win because the house always wins and, and stuff. But if you do do it, don't do it. But talk to Michael because, you know, he told me before the game yesterday, hey, the line's only eight points between Mizzou and KU. That's a, I think that's a really bad line. Like, K-State's going to win by a lot more. So if you're going to bet, talk to Michael, and he'll, he'll probably help you beat the house, maybe. I don't know. So, but anyway, that's the gospel of personal salvation is like that. It sort of works. But there's a bigger story that we're missing out on, that we're intending to, to be part of. And I remember growing up, I, I started reading the, the Bible some. I remember in, like, as a late elementary school, started reading, like, the old, the, some of the Bible, reading the Gospels and reading, like, First and Second Samuel and just like, this is so great. This is the stories of David and Samuel and the kings and the battles and the taking the promised land and seeing Jesus come and all he did is like I just was like drawn to the word of God and I loved it and the, the story of it all and was was so like something just was so like resonated with me but I remember whenever I would read the the letters in the New Testament like the letters that Paul wrote I would I started to think like they just I just sort of like glazed over because I had heard this gospel of personal salvation so much and been told so much that this is the message of the Bible. That everything I read, it was like that's all I was seeing in those words. And it was like no matter if I was reading Galatians or Ephesians or First Peter, it was like, okay, this is just about, hey, ask Jesus to forgive you your sins. It's grace, not works. You'll go to heaven when you die. And, and then these, you know, this is how you should live after you do that, kind of. And it was like, I, I really just, like, that's all I could see as I was reading the story, as I was reading those, those letters. Um, and later I realized I was, I was because 
I was missing, I just because my paradigm kept me from seeing what was actually there. And so, what is this different gospel that you're talking about? It's what is called the, the gospel of the kingdom. And this is the theme all throughout scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. It is the narrative of what God is doing in the world. Why he made the world, why he made people, what Jesus came for, and what he is doing. I just want to talk about this, you know, look at a few passages that, that point to this. We could, you know, there's so much, it was hard for me to pick. But when Jesus began his ministry, Mark 1, verse 14, we read this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. All right, so not a different gospel. This is the gospel, the narrative, the story of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Or it could be said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that was when he showed up on the scene, that's what he said. Hey, the time is here. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. When Jesus sent his disciples out, to bring a message. He told them to do this, to bring the same thing. Luke 9, 1 through 2, it says, He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. What were they proclaiming? This message of the kingdom of God. You notice he hasn't mentioned going to heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of God. In Matthew 24, Jesus is, is speaking about what's going to happen in history. And he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom. Instead of me taking a, too much time to try to unpack this, there's actually a great video that our friends at the Bible Project put together on the gospel of the kingdom that does a great job. And so we're going to watch just like the first two minutes of this. Um, it's something you might want to watch the rest of it because it's, it's got even more good stuff. But let's go ahead and watch this because it unpacks it really well. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. 
It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news. All right, you'll have to watch the rest on your own. It's good stuff. But the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom is the reign of God. So the good news of the reign of God is that God is reigning in the world. And despite the brokenness, and in the midst of the brokenness, he is increasing his reign. And that began... That was, you know, that was lost. Much of this was lost as far as how it's experienced in the world when people sinned. But when Jesus came, he was said the kingdom is at hand. He's bringing it back as far as the experience and the working out of his reign in our lives and in the world. And his plan is for that good reign of peace and justice and righteousness to spread and fill every part of the world. The gospel is not so much about heaven, because God's reign is already in heaven, but it's about God's reign coming to the earth. And that has begun in Jesus, that is continuing throughout history, and that will be ultimately consummated and fulfilled when Christ returns and makes the earth new. And so we are in the midst of this story, and, and we have a part to play in this story because Adam and Eve were called to be agents of that kingdom in the beginning and they, they forfeited that when they sinned but Jesus restored our ability to be part of pushing back darkness and bringing his kingdom. It sort of makes a lot of the Bible make a whole lot more sense when you just this, when your eyes are open to this paradigm change. You look at so much of Jesus teaching, he's talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And in Matthew 13, there's all these parables. It says, he presented another parable to them in verse 31, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I think one of the reasons we confuse the kingdom of God with heaven is that the term, the kingdom of God, is synonymous with the term, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven does not just mean gold streets and buildings in the sky when you die, but the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of Rome. It's... The kingdom where the capital is heaven, but it's the domain of heaven. Everywhere where God's rule and reign is being lived out. The kingdom of heaven is, is, like, is like a mustard seed. He says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour till it was all leavened, spread out and filled everything. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. So many parables that they, just, they don't make sense until you see the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew 6, when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he said, pray then in this way, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the gospel of the kingdom. God bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So, I don't know about you, but that, like, that gives me a lot more purpose in this life to see that, okay, God, you have brought and you're bringing your kingdom into the world. And you called me to be part of that. On this, I want to just break down, like, what are the, some of the differences between these two Gospels? The Gospel of personal salvation and the Gospel of 
the kingdom. In the first one, our goal is heaven. Goal is to go to heaven when you die. In the gospel of the kingdom, the goal is on earth as it is in heaven. In the gospel of personal salvation, the gospel is really a, pro- a proposition. It's kind of a transaction. It's pray this prayer, and then you can go to heaven. You can have your sins forgiven. In the gospel of the kingdom, it's a story. It's not just a, 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 like a deal, but it's a story that we get to be part of. In the first, in one, Jesus is Savior. In the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus is also Lord. The gospel of personal salvation can become me-centered. Like, what, Jesus, what, what are the benefits for me? The gospel of the kingdom is, is God-centered. It's about his rule and his reign. The personal gospel is personal. The gospel of the kingdom is universal. In the gospel of personal salvation, our enemy is, is sin. In the gospel of the kingdom, the enemy is sin with a capital S, as in the powers of darkness or the kingdom of darkness. We've got two kingdoms now that are at war with each other. In the gospel of personal salvation, grace pardons us for our sins. We receive forgiveness of sins. In the gospel of the kingdom, grace not only pardons us, but it empowers us to live an empowered life that God made us to live. In the first, our question can often be, can I still do this and be a Christian? How much can I get away with and still make it to heaven? In the gospel of the kingdom, the question is, how can my life honor the king? How can my life serve his purposes? How can I be effective in honoring him in my life? In the first gospel of personal salvation, the world is falling apart. And we, just, we need Jesus to rescue us from this world that's, that's falling apart. I know that was, the, that was the attitude towards the world so much that I had. It was very pessimistic. That was the, the, that's what this, this message can produce. But when you see the gospel of the kingdom, you see the world is being made new. Jesus in Revelation says, I am making all things new. Not just one day, but I am making all things new right now. Question for in the first column is, how much do I have to give? God, how much do you do I how much do I have to give? But when we see the kingdom, it's oh God, how can I get more? Oh man, how can man, you're worthy. This is this is incredible. This is the, the epic story of the universe. And you call me into it. God, how can I give more to be part of this? It's like my kids don't like it when I say this, but it's like, no, you don't have to, you get to. That's but it's but it's really true. In the first, church is a hospital. It's where bruised and battered and beat up people come to get healed. And that's important, and the church is that. But when we see the second, we realize that the church is also an army. That we're, we're, our wounds are healed so that we can get trained up and be sent out into Christ's battles and his mission.
Personal salvation gospel has a future realization. The gospel of the kingdom is in the future, but it's also beginning now. It's now and not yet. And the goal in the gospel personal salvation is to escape this broken world and to escape difficulty. I mean, there's so many songs that have been written that are just horrible songs, really. That I grew up singing a lot of these about flying away and hold on and rescue me. And all, but it's like the misses that, no, it's not about just escaping. But when we see the kingdom, it's being a part of God's redemptive story and seeing his life and victory come into the world. So different gospels, different results, different everything. The gospel you believe will determine how you approach life, how, it, how we approach the opportunities and the battles around us. Because in case you didn't notice, there are a lot of battles in this life. It's, it kind of makes more
talking to kids Yes. Hello? I think you shut it off. Dude, I was so excited. I pushed that button. Come on. Sorry about that, everybody. We're back. So uh, where was I? So God says, hey, if you're, if you're feeling afraid, just it's okay. Just go home. No shame. Like, no, you know, we're not going to we're not going to look down on you, but if you are trembling and afraid of the battle, it's all right. Just just go on home. And like two-thirds of the people said, "Okay, you know, I'm I'm a little nervous about going into hand-to-hand combat. So, I think I'll do that." Um, you know, I think it's interesting though because I think the other 10,000 who remained were a little nervous too. Because nobody goes into battle with a sword, and they're like, oh, no, this is going to be a piece of cake. I'm not afraid. You know, but that's, that's the definition of courage, right? It's not, not having fear, but it's what you do in the face of fear. And there were 10,000 people who were like, oh, I want to be in this fight. Like, there needs to be a fight, and I want to be part of it. And, yeah, there's a risk, and I might die, yeah, but I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to stick around. And so that's, that's, that's part of the grid God leads them through. And then it goes on. I just think this is very interesting. Um, verse 4, the Lord's, then the Lord's, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. You know, they're, they're still the army is way bigger than them that they're fighting. But God's like, no, too many, 10,000, that's too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one, shall not go, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those, so okay, It might be a low battery. I think it's turned off on this side. It's not my fault. Don't blame me. Uh, the if people who like get down on their knees and they're just like sticking their head in the water, and I'm thirsty. It's hot. We here's water. I'm taking a drink. That's one group. And then the group of people that cups with their hand, that keeps their eyes up, and they're like a dog. Their heads up. That's another group. And what does that show? I mean, first of all, let's let's finish reading the story. Um So we brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to g- like I said read that. Number 6, and the number of those who lapped putting their hands to their mouths was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent. And he told them 